This is it. This is our final week of the Stuck series. We've been in it for four weeks. Uh, and, you know, as each week as I've come to the topic of being stuck, I, I get there, I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. And then I get through it. It's almost like therapy, thinking through, like, the scripture and where it's going. And then after the service, and we get to talk about the different areas we've been stuck we realize, man, it's just one of the things we have in common. Like all of us have had different areas of being stuck. So what we're doing in this series, we're looking at uh, different times when Jesus encountered people. We've been in the book of John this whole time uh, that were stuck in various ways. Whether they're stuck, for example, in their circumstances or because of some past or some uh, mess that's gone on previously. We've had people that were stuck in their questions and their doubt and their fears. And in all of these instances, when Jesus encounters them, what he offers them is amazing. And what we've been calling them is keys to freedom. Now, Jesus, we've been painting this picture of Jesus as kind of the, you remember your high school custodian with the big ring of keys on his belt. And he walks down the hall, ching, ching, ching. And he's got a key to every room. And he can get into anywhere we want. I love the song we just sang in that, that chorus. It says, there's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie. There's no mountain. There's nothing that you can't get to or over or under or through for us on our, our behalf. And that's what Jesus does. And so he's given us the key, which is Jesus, the connection to God. But what's cool is the instances in which we're stuck he also can come into those individual situations and work with us. And so that's what we're seeing in this series. It's been cool uh, to see that. Today we're going to look to find two more keys from another story. But before we do that, uh, I want to start with a very fundamental question. This is one of the first questions you learn to ask. It's a question you ask over and over and over and over in your life. It's the, the heart of all of the questions. And the question is, why? Like that's a question, right? It's a question that you see all, you've done this. You've walked into a room and you got in there and you looked around why did I come in here, right? And it's like, this is a fundamental thing. If you have kids under the age of six in your house, you have heard this question so many times that you're considering duct tape as an alternative to the mouth situation. Like, because, why, because, and I remember asking my dad why. He said, because, I said, because, because, it's because, why because? Because, 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 like you just, you get over it. So that's under six. If you have kids over six, you find yourself often looking at them with your head cocked, kind of like a cocker spaniel, and watching them, and now you're asking why are you doing that? It's just what we do. Why? It's a fundamental question. I, I have the same question about like 60% of modern fashion trends. I, I thought we all agreed that the 80s was a bad era. Uh, but it's like, you know what? Let's just bring it back. Target's going to try again. And that's just where we go with so many. Why? 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 Why do hot dog buns come in packs uh, of 10 when the, the, the dogs come in packs of 8? Age old question. If olives come and make olive oil, okay? If, if vegetable oil comes from vegetables, if grapeseed oil presumably comes from grapes, why do they call it baby oil? I, I don't know. I've got questions. Why? Like, why? So as we get into these questions of why, here's the reality. It's uh, at the heart of how we address God often. Why? Why did this happen? Why is my life this way? We're in the series called Stuck. Why am I stuck? God, why, has probably been one of the most common prayers ever prayed. Why? And so today as we wrap up this teaching series about stuck, we want to kind of look at the life of a guy who Jesus encountered, who was in a situation that I think through his situation, how Jesus deals with him, it'll help us really gain a firm foundation on the answer to the question, why? 
at its most basic level. So uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it today. We're going to be in John again, the Gospel of John. Uh, it's in the, like the last third of your New Testament, of your Bible. The last third of your Bible is the New Testament, and this book of John is one of the biographies of Jesus. Always want to bring your Bible to church or uh, have a, a Bible app available. If you don't have a good readable version of the Bible, we give them away for free in the lobby. There's actually a chair right outside this door that you can take a Bible before you go home today. We want everybody to have a good readable version of the Bible. But today as we take a look at the story of another guy that was stuck, he's actually in a similar condition to the guy we talked about last week, the guy who had uh, been kind of lame for 38 years, and it's a similar situation, but not only was he stuck in his circumstances, but we're going to begin to address the question of, but why, okay, as we get into that. So th- we're just going to jump right in. John, we're in chapter 9, chapter 9 of John, and we're going to be in verse 1. So I'll give you a second to flip over there. It's also on the screen behind me. John chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to get through a big chunk of that today. Here we go. So this is Jesus. He's on the move again. So as Jesus, as he went along... He saw a man, blind, from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Kind of a weird conversation. We're going to pause there because there's a lot going on here. We don't know much about this guy. We, we know that he's blind. Uh, we know that he's been blind since birth. So this is like a genetic thing. You know, his whole life. In Jesus' day, as you can imagine, as just like it is in any third world country today, if you have a disability like this, you don't have many options. Your options are like beg. That's about it. You're basically at the mercy of anybody who will give you anything. And so th- this is what this guy's life has been like. He's completely dependent on others. We're going to find out later he actually was begging at the time. This man was stuck. And I- I'm not sure. I- I'm sure that more than one time in his life, he had the thought, Why? Why me? Why me? Why have I got to sit like this? Why have I got to be this way? Uh, he, we find him in a, in a Jewish community. It's, it's, it's safe to assume probably that he believed in God. He might have even made that as a prayer. Why God? Why me? I think a lot of people can resonate with this guy. Uh, uh, when, you, when you find yourself in a situation like this and we ask the question why, I think like the broader concept we're looking for is what is the purpose in this? And so for a little while right now, I want to talk about purpose. Purpose is kind of a buzzword. What's your purpose, you know? And, and, and people need to find their purpose in life. And it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But overall, it's just, it's one of those things that gives life value. It gives a thing value. What's the purpose of, you know, of this? Why do we have four forks in the formal dining set? Well, that's for salad. Okay, now I know. That's the purpose. So the purpose, a dictionary definition of purpose, very simple, is a reason for existence. And isn't that what a lot of our life is spent searching for? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What would be best for me to do? The cool thing about life is that when life is, is good, at least decent, we actually don't spend a lot of time thinking about our purpose. Like things are fine. You don't go around like, what? why are we paying all the bills? Man, why is it 70 degrees outside and not raining? That's just, no, but like when life starts to take a curveball, that's when we start asking the question, why? More often. It's when life slows down or speeds up or gets bumpy. Uh, when you approach a big transition in life, you ask the question, why? A lot of you guys uh, in this area are, are graduating college soon. We've got a couple of high school graduates at our church, too. And you get to this transition phase, and you're like, okay, but, well, that was fun. <laughs> but what's next, you know? What's the purpose? What's, what's my reason for existence? Or what's my reason for getting this degree that I just got? Uh, about the other half of you in the room are either approaching or sitting in, like, retirement age. And you've done, like, life, but now you're like, Okay, what was that for? Like, what's my legacy going to be? What's next? And so we, we wrestle with this. And then I think most people, we, we kind of take inventory like every six months, every year or two. We just kind of step back and like, okay, what am I doing? It's purpose. There's meaning. There's reason to it all. And when you're not sure about purpose, 
what's sad is it's easy to just settle for something else. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why I'm doing something. I'm just, you're going to do something. Like, I'm breathing. My brain's functioning. I'm doing something. Like, uh, I've seen a bumper sticker. Uh, one that I saw said, I live for Friday. You know, you can imagine like a t-shirt that says, I live for chicken wings. Like, it's like this phrase, like, I live for that. And I get it, it's just a saying, but like, we live in a culture that that's actually, that's actually a mindset. To live for Friday. To, to live until the next big thing. And it comes up in a lot of areas in our life. Uh, when we're stuck without purpose, when we don't know what to do, we just kind of settle for what's next best. We find ourselves just waiting for the next best thing. This is an interesting thing to consider because as we get to the end, I, this, this is going to resonate, resonate with a lot of you who kind of have a grind job. Like you're, you're a nine to five, five, six days a week, or maybe you're more than that. You're 60, 70 hours a week, and you're just doing it, doing it, doing it. And then somebody comes and is like, what's going on? And you're like, it's almost Friday. And it's why we hate Monday. And whether we realize it or not, we've made our purpose just to get to the weekend. It's a real part of our, our mindset. Not because there's some big goal, lofty thing we're trying to achieve, but just, man, I don't know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to plant tomatoes and like, can't do it on Tuesday. So I can't wait till the weekend. And this living for Friday mentality starts to get into everything else we do. And so let's get back into our story because we see Jesus uh, comes across this guy who's blind and the disciples ask this kind of rude question. <laughs> the guy's blind. You remember what they asked? They said, Rabbi, who was it that sinned? Uh, this, this guy or his parents that he was blind? It's kind of a weird question, like, huh? Uh, I'm pretty sure that's not how it works, uh, but, but this is the mindset of the people in this day. Uh, there were rabbis who taught basically this. By the way, there are teachers today who teach this, and this is basically it. Bad things happen because you're bad. In other words, God is like sitting on a cloud with a lightning bolt, and he's waiting for you to mess up, and as soon as you do, bad things, bad things. And so that's just kind of a fear we live in. By the way, the Bible doesn't enforce that. In fact, the, the cool thing is when God sees us hurting or broken or, broken or straying from him, you know his resu resulting reaction is? It breaks his heart. And he does everything he can to restore us. That's what he does. That's what the whole Jesus thing is all about. But we're living in a culture, this is in Jesus' time, where that was a very common thing. If, you, if you're disabled, it's because either you or your parents sinned. It's just, just how it goes. We know today, like, disabilities happen because of, like, genetics. That's why disabilities happen, or, or maybe something happened and, and, and you were injured. A sickness happens because, of, like, germs and bacteria, viruses, maybe a cancer. Like, that's why sicknesses happen. People get hurt because they do stupid things, like play kickball and fall down and dislocate their shoulder. That's a personal story. Um, but like that, we get hurt, and that's why these things happen, not because God's trying to smite us. But so this, this is where these guys are coming from with this question. And it's interesting, um, there's that question again. Did you notice it? Why? So like the disciples are walking with Jesus, and they're just like, da, da, da. wait, why? Why is he like this? It's cool, that's how our mind works. Jesus wants to set the record straight. Let's keep reading, we'll get into the story a little bit more here. Verse three, he says, well, pff, neither this man nor his parents sinned said Jesus. He wasn't saying they were perfect. He was just saying, that's, that's not why he's blind. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. He's like, you got to do God's work every day, all day. Everything that's going on is because God's work has to be done. He says this. This is a cool little metaphor he throws in. You know, night is coming when no one can work. But while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So here's the thing. Bad things do happen. 
And though this guy wasn't blind, because he had sinned, because his parents sinned, guess why bad things happen? Because of sin. Like all bad things in the world are a result of sin being in the world because we live in a fallen world. God created the earth to be a perfect place. He created humanity to be perfect. But when sin crept in, not only did it begin to deteriorate us spiritually and separate us from God, but that spiritual, our spiritual life is the supporting structure of the physical world. Like you've got to see this. It's so huge. And when the, the spiritual structure begins to deteriorate, of course the physical stuff on top is going to start to deteriorate. Why do bad things happen? Because sin is in the world. And so Jesus is making it clear. Listen, the world is full of darkness. But I am the light of the world. I came to fix that. We could spend a lot more time talking about the light of the world passage. In fact, we have. We've done like 10 sermons on that sentence. Um, but the whole idea, sickness, pain, violence, poverty, everything that hurts, it's all the result of sin in the world. I want to take a second and step aside and just kind of teach on that for a second. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter uh, to the, the Christians living in Rome. And he says uh, this. He says, he talks all in chapter 8 about how all of creation is kind of groaning. He says they're groaning with the pains like childbirth. And you ladies who have given birth, you're like, yeah, I, I get that. Like, it's like this, this like... I just want this to go away, but like on the other side of it, there's something beautiful and great, and you know it's coming for a long time, but it's just there. And so he describes the pain of the world like childbirth, and he says this pain has been happening because of sin until God is ready to deliver the world. That word deliver, very symbolic of childbirth. And he says this in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 21, if you want to jot that down, I'll be on the screen behind me. He says, creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. Like there's a point at which, and this is what Jesus came for. He said, I came to deliver the world from that pain. But the reason it's here is because the world is, is separated from God. Sin is in the world and it has fallen. That's the struggle of living in a broken world. And if we don't return to God, we're just stuck in the mess. And many times with no idea what the purpose is for the mess. And here in this moment, Jesus says, I'm paraphrasing. He said, look, the world is in a blanket of darkness, but I'm the light. I'm here to set the, the record straight. I'm here to set the situation straight. And Jesus' mission was to come into the world to show us the answer to the question, why? Why all of this? And more importantly, to bring us purpose, to give us something to live for. And to make sure that the reasons that we do thing, things have the purpose that God intended. So this is a sentence this is what we're going to get back to. He says, Jesus said, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You catch that? Why is this guy blind? Did his parents sin? Did he sin? Well, actually, this happened because right now I'm about to do something awesome. I'm about to show my power even in this guy's weakness. And we're going to unpack this some more in just a second. But look, remember, we're looking for, for keys to finding freedom. And I think we've stumbled into our first one today. When we're stuck, before we go and try to solve everything on our own, it is crucial for us to understand this foundational key to all of our stuckness. I'm going to kind of shorten it. It's going to be three words here, okay? But th this whole concept is going to be summarized in these three words. So those of you who take notes and want to jot down on the margin of your Bible, this is key number one today. Bring God glory. That's like the shortened version of what we're getting into. Bring God glory. This is the key. You're stuck. It doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem like what you want to do. 
But in your stuckness, if you can find a way to bring God glory, suddenly the stuckness starts to make sense. It does. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in other people's life. Let's explain it a little bit. That key could be many more words. I, I think that uh, Rick Warren is a pastor and an author. He, he authored the best-selling book, The Purpose-Driven Life. You've probably seen it at a bookstore or like in a yard sale. Like they're everywhere. This book is, is everywhere. And uh, what I'm about to read is not scripture, but he does a great job of summarizing a lot of scripture. So I, I'm just going to read it. This is from the opening of the book, The Purpose-Driven Life. He says, listen, it's not about you. That's the first sentence. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family or your career or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. We find ourselves asking the question, why? Why is this happening? What is my purpose? Or what is the purpose of the situation I'm in? Why am I stuck? No matter what it is, we've got to remember that our chief purpose, our reason for existing, is bring God glory. Those are three words. To be used by him, to be used for him. God is the creator, and he built into us the purpose for each one of our lives and the purpose of that life was to use whatever we've been given and whatever we have, our talents, our, amb- our ambitions, even our fears and our brokenness, to use all of that to bring him glory. Jesus said, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. And that sounds weird. For, for our purpose, for living, to, be, to bring glory to God, it means that even when things are bad, it's still for God's glory. It's true when you hurt. It's true when you have unresolved conflict. It's true when the stuff you were born with holds you down and the stuff when the stuff you accumulated on your own holds you down. The purpose of my existence, the purpose of your existence was determined by the one who created me and the person who created you. Our purpose is to highlight the power and the presence and the purpose, the person of God. That's our purpose. We exist to bring God glory. It's crazy that when Jesus sees this blind man, what he sees is the purpose of God. Because we look at that and go, that's not fair. That is, that is not fair. God, why do you allow this? Why would, why would God allow this to happen? And, you know, I've struggled with that. I mean, I've spent so many conversations. Don't sit here thinking that I'm up here like, come on, guys, get it together. No, like, I see the world and I'm like, why is this going on? And, and so, and, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 8 about the childbirth thing and God's going to liberate us from all that, he keeps writing, and in chapter 9, verse 20, he actually is quoting the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. But this is, I don't know, kind of a toe-stepping-on moment from Paul. Thanks, man. Uh, Romans nine twenty, he says this, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? <laughs> Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Doesn't the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? I heard a great story about a potter. It was actually from a potter. And he said, you know, uh, I've made some beautiful bowls and stuff. And he he shows pictures of them. They're they're great. He said, you don't know what my favorite bowl is? And and he shows the next picture. It's this lumpy, ugly thing. And it's it's just like this cup, like a tumbler-sized cup. And it's not finished, and it's not polished, and it's kind of lumpy. He said, this is one of the first things uh, my son ever made. But it's where I keep all my pencils and paintbrushes and stuff on my desk. It's my favorite piece. And, like, it wouldn't sell for much. But I love this as much, if not more, than all these other beautiful pieces I made. The potter has the right to do what he wants to with the clay. 
And sometimes when we ask the question why, we're looking for the answer that we're looking for. And God's like, wait, 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 stop looking for it in that. Why don't you see how can you bring God glory in this moment instead? It's hard to swallow, but it's in there. So God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love and I want you to serve. I want you to love and serve God. I want you to love and serve people. That's what you can do. And that will bring me glory. That will bring me glory. So we keep reading. We'll get back to the story. In verse 6. John 9, 6 uh, through the first half of verse 7. So after saying this, Jesus does like the weirdest, grossest miracle ever right here. Okay. After saying this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva. I love that the word saliva is there because it just makes me giggle. I don't know why. It's very medical. He mixes up with his saliva and he put, puts it on the man's eyes. You taking that in? Like we just blow that by. Oh, that's a cool romantic story about Jesus heals somebody. No, like he's like. <laughs> and then the next sentence, he says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Can we just take a second to be the blind guy? Jesus was not talking to the blind guy. He was just like sitting over here. This isn't like, hey, listen, in a second, I'm going to put some spit in your eyes. No, he's like sitting there, and he's like begging, and he hears these guys come by, and they're having some debate about, about sin. They're like, oh, they're talking about me again. That's nothing new. And then he hears Jesus, and he's like, oh, that guy's saying some pretty profound stuff. Ooh, light of the world. That sounds fancy. I wonder if they're going to give me any money. And then he hears something. There's a pause, and, and he's like, oh, what, what is this? And there's like gritty, warm stuff on his face, and then the voice goes, go over there and wash that off. Can you be the blind guy for just a second and be like, that, what? That's not what I was expecting today. But this is what's crazy. The guy just does. He just, in obedience, he just gets up and goes wash it off. He, I don't know if he was like, well, I was going to need to do that anyway. So, yeah, thanks. Um, but this is great. I love the second half of verse 7. It says, so the man went and washed, listen to these last four words, and came home seeing. God's been blind since birth. Uh, Again, can you imagine being this guy? All you knew was darkness your whole life, and then bam! I got a pretty bad vision. And it's funny, when you say that you have bad vision in front of a group of people, there's always someone else in the group who wants to start a fight about how they have worse vision than you. Uh, if you wear glasses or contacts, you know this. And I just want to let you know, it's not a contest! You don't win a prize if you have the worst vision. What you do is you run into things, and you can't read, uh, and yeah. So... Anyway, though, but I will never forget, I got glasses, I think I was in fourth grade, and I will never forget the first moments that I had, like, really clear sight. It was, it was a beautiful moment. It was, like, emotional. I was, I was pumped. Uh, I was excited to get glasses. And so, and it's funny, burned in my mind is my memory of the first thing I saw clearly. It was a Dennis the Menace poster at the, uh, at the doctor's office. That's it. It's not, like, not, that's it. There's not a cool story behind it. It was just Dennis. Was, I was like, what up, Dennis? That's what you look like. Um, and I was so excited. I remember riding home with my dad and be like, Dad, there's leaves on all the trees. It's amazing. There's like, and I was seeing all these thousands of leaves. Like I had climbed trees a lot, but I didn't realize like you could see all the leaves at the same time. Thousands of them. I remember laughing and talking about it for days. Like this is great. Like it was emotional. It was happy. It was fun. You've probably seen videos online of people like uh, hearing for the first time or, or seeing uh, if they're colorblind, they see full color for the first time. Or even people who have been blind and can see some shapes and some color for the first time. And it's emotional. This dude, if there was a contest for who was most blind, he's winning. He had lived in darkness his whole life. Can you imagine the emotion, the excitement, the thrill of seeing this? Bam. And it tucked away in this, this awesome little moment for this guy's life is our second key. I don't know if you, you really caught it. It's kind of, it was in there. But once you see it, you'll never unsee it. And pun intended. It's very, 
very cool. Check this out. Um, it's something that this guy did so naturally that I think personally, I'm not sure I would have been so good at. One key to really getting unstuck, it has to do with perspective and it has to do with action. With proper perspective comes proper action, okay? And so <laughs> this guy is sitting on the side of the road and he gets this gritty spit in his eyes. Spit mud is what I've called it. He gets spit mud in his eyes. You know what he could have done? Dude, what? <laughs> he could have freaked out. I don't know, but he doesn't do that. There was something about Jesus that made him tune in and listen. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Maybe that was something that just spoke to him. Maybe Jesus said more to him. Something that's good to remember about a lot of scripture is that this is a lot of it's condensed down story. Like some of these stories are just like one sentence. I mean, a lot more stuff happened, but they only wrote down some of the highlight. Maybe Jesus spent a minute teaching the guy. I don't know. But all we have is the guy sits there, gets mud in his eyes, and then Jesus goes, go over there and wash it off. And this is what's crazy. He does. And he's healed. Key number two. Three words again. Obey God's instructions. We are not saved by what we do, okay? So if there's any uh, thought that, you know, man, well, okay, uh, one reason my life isn't going well is because I'm not perfect at getting God's instructions right. That's not how it works. God's grace is what saves us. It's the only thing that brings us into his presence. But with that grace comes his expectation that we will start to live the way he designed us to live because that's the way we function the best. He's like, if you will obey my instructions, your life will go the way that it should go and you will be able to do rule number one, which is uh, live for God's glory. So suddenly you find yourself in this position, obey God's instructions. I said it's about perspective, it's about action. When we start to really internalize and realize you're the creator. You're God. We suddenly have perspective that makes us say, well, obviously I should do the things you say are best. You have a much bigger view of things than I do. With perspective comes action always. And if we can find the perspective of knowing who God is, we can take the actions that will bring him glory. If you're stuck, especially trying to find purpose in a mess, here's something to consider. Are you being obedient to God with your life? Not are you checking off all the things like I'll go to church and I'm doing all this other stuff, but like am I actually like God said, listen, if you want your life to go the way I designed you to live, do these things. There's reasons why I think these things are a bad idea because they, they, they destroy your soul or because they wreck you emotionally or because they hurt you physically. Now here's the thing. We, we want to be a church that is totally accessible no matter what level of faith you're at. You might be a place today where you came and you said, I, I don't know if I'm living by God's instructions. I have no idea. Great. Here's my suggestion. Just keep coming back. Hang out with us. We talk about this stuff every single week. And there's no expectation that you should be perfect. But our goal is to continue to find out what God's instructions for our life are and live that way. God's plans are to prosper us, not to harm us. And he wants to bless us. And he wants us to live out this purpose. So, okay, let's wrap up the story. I'm glad for this man. But what's cool is, just like Rick Warren started his book about this is not about you, this story is not about this man. I'm really pumped for him. It kind of is about him. But it's more about the glory that God gets out of this moment because we're still talking about it today. Check out what happens as Jesus uh, moves into someone's life. This is in verse 8. John 9, 8 through 12. 
So his neighbors, we're talking about the blind guy now, formerly blind guy, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. And others said, ah, no, it only looks like him. I do that all the time. I'm in public. Is that a famous person? My wife is always like, it's not a famous person. Um, but he himself insisted. I love this. He insisted. It is me. God, it's me. It's Bill, the blind guy, but I can see now. They say, well, how then were your eyes open? And he replied, well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Salome and wash it. And so I washed it. And now I can see. I love how he summarizes what happened because that's like exactly how it went. He's like, I don't understand. It's just what happened. And they said, so where is this man? So they asked him, and he said, I don't know. And Jesus had gone off. He'll be back. Don't worry. But at the moment, it's just really cool because his friends immediately see a difference. This is clearly the blind guy who was begging, but he's a completely different person now. And here's a really cool point. When Jesus moves into your life, when you start to do the things he tells you to do, when you start to try to bring him glory with even the brokenness in your life, your life changes and the world notices. It's a really cool thing. And what's neat is it's not me. It's just me reflecting what God did in my life. I'm just a reflection of his goodness. And it opens the door for you to take more steps into more of the purpose that God has given you, which is give God glory. We can't get into the rest of John today, John 9. Um, it's kind of similar to what happened last week. Uh, there's some religious leaders standing by. They get upset because Jesus has healed somebody. It's the Sabbath day again. We talked about that last week, but it's kind of like a big deal, and they don't want anybody getting healed on the Sabbath day. And so he comes back, and there's a big conversation uh, but what I want to skip down is to the very end because the, the, the reality that when Jesus comes into your life, like it changes you. And this guy summarizes kind of his whole life story in just a couple of words here. We're going to find it in John 24, 25, uh, John 9, verses 24 through 25. The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. They say, listen to what the religious leaders, this is the religious leaders talking. They say to this guy, they say, give glory to God by telling the truth. They say, we know this man is a sinner. See, they're trying to, you know, discredit Jesus, and they're trying to use this guy to do it. And he replied, well, whether he was a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's the testimony of Jesus in our lives. I was like this, but now I'm like this. And it wasn't about me. It was about what he did. And I love it here that they, they say, give God glory and tell him the truth. And what's funny is like, well, I mean, I think that's what just happened here. I'm, I am giving God glory because I'm allowing my brokenness to help his truth shine. Um, so I have never been that great at math. In fact, uh, going through school, like it was kind of just a, it was a hard part. It's not because I wasn't able, it's because I just wasn't interested and I never really had a math teacher who was really able to sit me down and explain to me why this is useful. I remember in high school, I was in geometry class, and I raised my hand while the teacher was explaining some equation about finding the area of some shape. And I said, um, so how are we ever going to use this when we're shopping for groceries? I don't get it. And so she didn't answer my question. She sent me to detention. And I was like, I wish she would have taken some time to explain this to me. Uh, and so like, what, what I wish she would have done is said, well, you know, actually, I don't think you'll use this equation at the grocery store. That's what that, not, I don't know why you thought that would be a place to use this. But you know what? Let's go outside and let's use it out here on this lawn because if you were in you know, landscaping, you might need to know how many seeds to buy for this many square feet of land. Like that would be a practical part. But I didn't really have a teacher who took the time to do that. Also, um, I had a bad attitude, so that's probably why I went to detention. But... Uh, <laughs> But here's the thing, over the years I've struggled with math. And I wish so badly now that I understood 
why? Why was I learning this? Why, 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 why? I've struggled with that because now I know why. Now I know I need to know these things. I build a lot of things and I'm measuring stuff. I'm doing something like, you know what? I can't remember how to add fractions. Like, man, that's complicated. Why aren't we using the metric system? That would be so much easier for stupid people like me. Uh, But so like I'm looking at this and here's the thing. The why is so important about everything. It really is. When we can answer the question why, it begins to guide us through everything else. Why do we work? Why do we love? Why are we in relationships? Why am I doing this in my career? Why am I spending my time doing this? Why, 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 why? Jesus makes the why easy for us. In your life, the answer to the why. I hope you wrote this down. I hope you will if you haven't. The reason is for God's glory. Everything that happens in our life. Now, that's not going to answer all your questions. A lot of people call why, um, they call it question zero. Before you start a project, before you do anything, you got all these things you want to check off your list. But before you start your questions, you really got to turn to the why question, the question zero. Not question one, but question zero, which is, why are we doing this in the first place? So I know we've all got a lot of other questions, a lot of other things that are going on in our life. But we've got to return to question zero, which is why. Why did God put us here? Why could it even be possible that this is going on in my life? Why could I have this opportunity? Why, why, why? To give God glory. That's why. And from that posture, from that perspective, we can begin to take action. And this is what's crazy. I think we want to serve God in our strengths. I'm a good singer. I should be in the band. I'm a good teacher. I should teach. I should preach. I'm a good businessman. I should start a business. But you know where God's goodness is seen the best? In our weakness. Because it's only in our weakness that we can really see what he's doing. We can't take credit for that. I'm broken, but this happened anyway. God must have been involved. And when we're stuck, and we're asking the question why, we've got to return to the answer. It's got to be for God's glory. Let me figure out how. As we wrap up, Jesus had a why. Did you know that? His why was simple. Why did he do what he did? He said himself, I came to the world to seek and save that which was lost. Everything he did was for our love, the love of us. That's why we do church. That's why we try to love other people. And in return, the answer to our why can be simple. Just to pay that forward. To give you glory because you love me first. And to love you back. And through it all, he gives us the answer to our why. I love Colossians 3.17. This is a good memory verse if you're looking for one. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Write that down on a post-it note. Put it on your desk. Put it on your dashboard. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on the place you're most likely to be frustrated. And remember that in all things we give God glory. We find the perspective. We take the action. He gets the glory. And suddenly everything that's making us feel stuck the most becomes the very vehicle for us to live out our deepest purpose. It's a beautiful thing. Let me pray for us this morning. Let's pray. God, you're good. Um, I do not want to thank you for the pain. I do not want to thank you for the brokenness. I don't feel like thanking you for people who are dealing in blindness or any other disability. I don't want to. But over and over again, I see that in our weakness and our hurt and our brokenness and our pain is when you shine the brightest So I guess the 
best we can do is say thank you for that. Thank you for helping us find that perspective. And, and as each one of us are stuck in different ways, I pray that you can help us take these keys we picked up over the last month and start to plug them into our brains and into our lives. Thank you for this church family that you've given us. And help us to shine your light into this city so that more and more people can know that you can help us get unstuck. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.